You can turn over in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 2, we find ourselves in. And uh, we're getting into the exciting part of this book where we see the active ministry of Christ unfolding right before our eyes. And it's going to be really uh, incredible as we take this journey together. And so far we've made our way through the introduction through chapter 1. And now we're really uh, delving into his miracle ministry here on earth. We've already looked at the first miracle last week. And I want to remind you each week that the, the, the purpose, the overarching theme, you could say, of this book is found in chapter 20, verse 31. And it'd be, this would be a good verse to read several times a week to get it in your mind because it says there, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John gives an apologetic purpose for the purpose of his book. He wants to present us facts, first-hand facts from his very eyes and his life alongside of, of the Lord. They say, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And then he also has, a, you could say, an evangelistic purpose in that verse. Because he says, so that, a purpose falls in, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so he wants you to understand, first of all, that Christ is who he said he is. And secondly, uh, that you can trust him with your eternal salvation. And everything in this gospel we're going to see is being directed. It's being funneled down this path of proving the deity of Jesus Christ. And he's going to do it over and over and over again. He wants to prove that he is divine, that he is the word of God made flesh, that he is God who was with God from whom everything that exists was created. And all the way through his actions, through his miracles, through the works of Jesus that we're going to see, and even his words that are spoken are evidence of his deity, are evidence that he is the Christ. Now last week, you remember, we looked at this, it's called the first miracle that Jesus performed in public to start his public ministry in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, when he changed water into wine. And see, there's no more important question, really, than someone needs to answer, and we can ask people, is who is Jesus Christ? That's all that's going to matter when you stand before the Lord one day. He's going to say, what did you do with my son? Who is my son to you? And the implications of that question, who is Jesus Christ, are profound. And that question is asked over and over again throughout the New Testament. And when you ask that question of someone, who is Jesus Christ? Who do you think that Jesus Christ is? It, it, it evokes a variety of emotions from people. If you've ever done it, you understand what I'm saying. From outright hostility to adoration. See, merely thinking about that question, who is Jesus Christ, is not enough. That doesn't do it for you. You have to answer the question. (laughs) Asking the question is not good enough. That question has to be answered. And I want you to understand this morning that if you answer that question incorrectly, 
you really, no matter what your excuse is, no matter what your excuse is, ultimately, if you answer it incorrectly, it ultimately leads to eternal devastation in hell for all of eternity. If you get that question wrong. So you can see the significance of this question. And throughout history, that question has sparked a lot of debate. It sparked a lot of confusion. And it was even true back in Jesus' time when he was here on earth ministering. In Matthew 16, verse 13, when he asked, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Do you remember that? Do you remember his disciples didn't really come up with a definitive answer at first. They kind of listed a, uh, you know, kind of multiple choice. (laughs) Here, Jesus, let me tell you what people are saying. Verse 14, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, there's other possibilities. Maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's what people are saying, Jesus. But there's only one, one correct answer to Jesus' question. It's not a multiple choice. And you know what? Peter gave the right answer in verse 16 when he said, you are what? The Christ, the Son of the living God. That, and that alone is the correct answer. And so this morning we find ourselves in John 2, and I've entitled this message, you know, a lot of times we clean our houses, come around springtime, get all the Christmas stuff put away. We're in the process of doing that now. And you know what? Um, So I entitled the message, Time for Spring Cleaning. Because that's what Jesus did to the temple. And so take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 2. And I want to begin reading in verse 13. And I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word this morning as we read down through verse 25. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons or doves. And the money changers were sitting there as well. And making a whip of cords, or ropes, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And he told those who were selling the the doves or the pigeons, take these things away too. Do not make my father's house a house of trade or a house of commerce. Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Well, the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you will raise it up in three days? Verse 21 puts it in context, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, guess what? His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what 
was in man. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see from this text. Help us to see that all the performance of religious activity and exercise without a heart that's committed to you is honestly an abomination before your sight. Help us to understand worship. Help us to understand faith this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when we come to this miracle that we had, and you say, well, what's the miracle? There's a miracle. It's actually a very significant miracle that we just read about. It's not obvious, I would say. It's not obvious that something supernatural took place here. It doesn't talk really about anybody being resurrected from the dead or anybody being healed or anybody having their demons cast out of them. It doesn't even mention the creation of one, something miraculous like that, as the prior passage did. But this is truly a miracle. And, and I, would, I would argue that it's, it's a, a miracle of mammoth proportions when you stop and you look at what's going on here. It's the miracle driven, it's not driven by compassion, as the first miracle was. This is a miracle that is driven by wrath, by anger. The first miracle John records in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, the miracle at the wedding of, of Cana, think about it. It was a private, you could say it was a private miracle. Not everybody saw it. It happened among friends and family. It was kind of an intimate setting. It happened in this little town of Cana, about nine miles outside of Nazareth, five to nine miles there, and people they knew, they grew up with. It was a very intimate setting. Mary was there with the family of Jesus, the disciples, the extended family. And this was kind of his launching point, you could say, of his public ministry. This is where he began his 30, he, 30 years, of, or three years of ministry out of his years of obscurity. He did a miracle for family and friends. But when we come to the second miracle, in verse 13 of chapter 2, it's not a private miracle. It's not private at all. As a matter of fact, it's not a family and friends kind of a miracle. It's a miracle in which tens tens of thousands of people not only witness, but they participate in it. They participate in this miracle. And they're watching, and they're not just innocent bystanders. They're in the middle of this miracle. They're caught up in the drama and power and the divine energy that's coming out of this miracle. Like I said, it's not a a miracle that's driven by compassion. That's why Jesus made wine. He didn't want everybody to be embarrassed. He didn't want the family to be embarrassed. He said, hey, I'll make some wine. It's not a compassionate heart that Jesus has on someone who's possessed of a, of a demon and he casts them out, or why he heals a sick person, or why he raises a dead person. Those are miracles of, we would call, kindness or, or compassion. But at the beginning of his ministry, and at the end of his ministry, Jesus did two miracles. One we just read. The other one we'll see eventually. 
It's eventually the same thing. Essentially the same thing. It's, it's a miracle where he throws out the entire mass of humanity at the Passover. He throws them out of the temple. Think, he didn't have an army. He was one person. It's a miracle. He did it at the beginning of his ministry, and he did it at the end of his, uh, at the end of his ministry. These were not miracles of compassion. These were miracles, we could say, of holy anger. And what they were meant to do is preview the future judgment. A judgment that would come in the of Jerusalem temporarily and ultimately a judgment that will become a reality forever before the throne of God at the great white throne. Now, in the Gospel of John, we see here at the, at, the, at the beginning of the verse here, the Passover, it says, of the Jews was at hand. It's interesting to understand that the, the Gospel of John mentions basically three Passovers. Some people say four, but it's not technically called a Passover. And you say, well, why is that important? There's three Passovers mentioned here throughout the Gospel of John. The first one is in the text we just read. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. 13 of chapter 2. If you turn to the right a couple pages, chapter 6, verse 4, you'll see the second one. It says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. That's the second Passover. And then you have the third one that's clearly defined and identified in chapter 11, verse 55. Chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, verse 55, says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. (laughs) So there's at least three Passover is mentioned in the book of John here. Now, Passover, if you know anything about it, it's a celebration of when God would pass over, right, those who put the blood on the, the, uh, the house, the frame of the house, the doorway, and they wouldn't be wiped out. But it's quite an occasion in Judaism. It's a, it's a religious feast, and it requires males who are 20 years of age and older to attend. You have to attend this if you're a Jew. So you can imagine, and it was held in, obviously in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem back in the time of Christ maybe was, you know, uh, 200,000, 300,000 people. So not an insignificant place. But during the time of Passover, And you've heard me say this before, the population of Jerusalem just swelled. It's like, you know, when we had the the, the Super Bowl here, or you have a a big occasion here in the Bay Area, all of a sudden the population grows. Why? Because all these people are coming to that event. Go Niners. So usually it's about 200,000, 300,000. But history tells us that it could have swelled to multiple millions of people during this time. Josephus says that in one day, one Passover in his day, there were over 256,000, listen, thousand lambs slain for the Passover feast in one day. So this is a big event. And each lamb would probably represent a family from 10 to 20. So you can do the number yourself. I'm just saying it was packed. It was packed. They come from everywhere. It's required they come. 
Now, not all, everybody comes with animals. Not everybody brings their sacrifice with them. If you're smart, you do. But some people weren't farmers. Or maybe they traveled too far. They couldn't carry along an animal. They couldn't bring their sacrifice with them. So it was necessary back in the culture for people to be able to, during that time, have animals for sale. There's nothing wrong with that. That was a common thing. They would sell their animals as sacrifices. They couldn't be scarred. They couldn't have any uh, abnormalities to their physical condition. They had to be, you know, a good sacrifice. So there's nothing wrong with selling animals for sacrifice. And by the way, if you're poor, God even allotted, maybe you couldn't afford, you know, a, a larger animal, a lamb or something. So he said, hey, if you're really poor, you can, you can bring a dove or a pigeon. You can bring something like that, small and insignificant. You can find them anywhere. Bring them as your sacrifice. You can see the, the love of the Lord here. There was nothing wrong with selling these things. But they always did it outside of the temple area, not within. You would never do it within the temple area. The temple area is holy. It's meant for prayer made up of several courts. The outer court was for the Gentiles, and it was, it was a court that was constructed for those who were Gentile and who came to faith that they could go there and pray. That was the purpose of it. Now, at the time of Christ, the religious institution, Judaism, was very, very, the priesthood was very corrupt. Very corrupt. And sometimes we forget that. And that's not just from 